Could the Dallas Cowboys have two 1,000-yard rushers during the 2022 season? All that more in this episode of the Locked On Cowboys podcast. You are Locked On Cowboys, your daily Dallas Cowboys podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On. Welcome back to the Locked On Cowboys podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We want to thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. I am Marcus Mosher. You can follow me on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosher. He is Landon McCool. Check him out on Twitter at McCoolBCB. Landon, how's it going today, sir? It's going well. Uh, We're ready to answer some questions. I know I've got a ton of questions going into this training camp, so I'm sure you guys do too. So we're going to try to figure them out together. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's jump right into it. First one from Zach. Is there a chance we have two 1,000-yard rushers this season uh, if Tyler Smith can play well and the overall offensive line stays relatively healthy? Well, I mean, I I think it's – possible you just don't see that kind of thing happen very often for you know for a reason it, it usually takes a lot of focus on you know kind of one player carrying the ball and, and even in a situation where you know the Cowboys were last year um they got I think within 300 200 300 yards of yeah, they're of, fairly of, close of there. um uh, you know I think I think it's possible. I, I think if 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 you start getting Pollard a couple more carries a game I think if you know, he continues to remain explosive and have a high yards per carry uh, that he could get there. Uh, you know, the, the question that becomes is, you know, if the Cowboys are kind of shifting the role here a little bit to get to kind of change his touches more to receptions as opposed to carries, and will that take away from his opportunity to get, uh, you know, a thousand yards on the ground specifically? Um, I, I think it's certainly within reach. I think it certainly could be something that that if they, you know, have that kind of plan for Pollard to become, you know, more involved in the running game as opposed to trying to like reshift those carries and touches to to catches. I, I think it's certainly it's certainly possible. It, it's it's all going to come down to game planning and, and touch distribution. I think. Yeah, I, I actually don't see a way that. Tony Pollard gets a thousand yards rushing unless Zeke gets hurt. Like I just, Maybe. I think the Cowboys have a different way they want to use him. Like I think ideally, like if they could get him 650 rushing yards and 615 yeah. receiving yards, like that's the ideal way to use Tony Pollard and have him be the guy that has the most, you know, yards from scrimmage in the backfield. But I don't get the sense that the Cowboys are looking at a true 50, 50 run split between Pollard and Zeke. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're interested in doing this necessarily. No. I think it's certainly possible, and and that they have the capability. And you know, Pollard and Zeke are both certainly capable of doing that. Uh, I think it's it, it, with that kind of thing, it's about willingness to provide those number of touches on the ground. And I and I don't know that the Cowboys are. I, I mean, I think that they, like I said, if anything, they're kind of I'm thinking focusing on getting his touches in the receptions as opposed to carries now. So they maybe shift away from that more. So yep. uh, yeah, I, I think it's certainly possible, but I don't think it's likely. All right, next question from at Jones's babysitter. Uh, you guys have mentioned the easy button for Dak a bit this offseason. What are those plays, routes, and how do the other positional players assist that? Basically, he wants to know, what do you guys mean when we're talking about the easy button for Dak? 
Well, I, I think it starts with providing, you know, uh, routes where you've got playmakers, specifically guys who can create after the catch, getting them the ball, uh, designing plays to get them the ball in space and allow them to create. That's that's easy for Dak. You know, when he has a throw to an open window to a guy that you know isn't very isn't very difficult to get the ball to, doesn't require a lot of time in the pocket, and is just able to kind of you know, allow the scheme to get the guy open and then the player to, to who's receiving the ball to produce the yards after catch. That is something that, you know, you see in these in a lot of the San Francisco offenses and all these guys that these teams that have these players. And, and CeeDee Lamb is a prime example of one of these guys who is dangerous with the football in his mm-hmm. hands. So any opportunity that the Cowboys have where they are designing, uh, uh, you know, whether it's rub routes or just complicated uh, uh passing concepts that can, you know, get guys open versus different specific coverages. I think uh, to me, hitting the easy button means throws where Dak isn't having to throw into a tight window on a developing play that requires him to constantly, you know, navigate a pocket. And not that he can't or shouldn't do those things. That's, that's his job. It's just a higher percentage of letting these receivers do some of the work for Dak uh, so that when later, you know, you're, you're not feeling like you're scraping the barrel of Dak having to pull more and more magic out of the hat. Yeah, I, I would say, okay, just about off the top, creating easier throws for Dak doesn't mean that he's a lesser quarterback. I actually just watched the Chiefs-Steelers playoff game, the wildcard game, and I can't tell you how many throws Mahomes had that were at or behind the line of scrimmage, whether it was a screen pass, whether it was kind of like a delayed pass, just simple ways to get Jarek McKinnon the ball in space or Tyreek Hill yeah. the ball in space just yep. to get the offense going and, and moving those are okay like it I I know it sounds like we're trying to lessen the load of Dak you know on, on Dak Prescott but these are just ways to get the offense going and in fact Lana we saw this last year with with Cooper Rush when he started against Minnesota I think the Cowboys created a lot of easy throws and easy reads and you know chunk plays because they they knew they didn't want to put Cooper Rush into a situation where he was having to make five different reads. It's hey, here's a here's a screen to CeeDee Lamb that he's gonna take 21 yards. Here's a double pass to CeeDee Lamb down the field where Cooper Rush doesn't have to do anything. Like I don't see it, think you need to run those all the time, but five, six of those type of plays a game just to make it a little bit easier on deck. Do you think that John McVay doesn't make things easier for Oh my Stafford? gosh, yeah, he does <laughs> like, all his quarterbacks, right? Uh, I mean, you, you're you're not trying to limit. It's not that you're worried about Dak. It's that you're trying to give your team every single advantage that's possible. And if there's easy money on the table to be taken, take the easy money. Yep. You don't have to like. You don't have to bang your head with difficult plays in order to win every single snap. Like you can, you can take some easy money here and there, and that's going to give you that much more of the of an advantage so that when the time comes if you need to make the big play it means more or it, it has more value because you've you've taken some body shots with some of the simple stuff so yep. now suddenly you're that much closer to the end zone it's why i think andy reed's one of the best coaches yeah. in the league because he's had success yeah. with all types of quarterbacks by doing this exact same thing right whether it's donovan McNabb, michael vick kevin cobb uh, Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith, like he just gets these guys into a rhythm early in games by creating simple throws and simple reads. And by the end of the game, their confidence is up. The team is playing well. I, I, I just think Dallas can incorporate more of that this season. I agree. I completely agree. 
All right, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including golf, Major League Baseball, and eventually football. I know we're like six weeks away, but football is coming. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. All right. Next question, Lane. This one from Gorn. He wants to know if you could go back and change one moment in Cowboys history, hmm. what would you choose? Is it a game? Is it something that happened in the offseason? It was a draft pick. What would you change? Oof. One, huh? I've got a couple that I, I I want your thoughts on. You ready? Tony, Tony dropping the football in Seattle. Yeah, that's that's because you just wonder like, is Parcells still there the next year? Yeah. If they if they win I that mean, playoff game, how far do they go in the, after that? You know, like I mean, I mean, they would be they would be a very scrappy team. They weren't, you know, look talent wise, they weren't exactly, uh, you know, the the twenty twenty three Yankees. But I mean, like they, you know, they they definitely were were I thought talented enough and a scrappy enough team that they could have advanced a little bit further. And maybe that doesn't like, uh, you know, uh, maybe it doesn't lead to a Super Bowl or something, but maybe what it does is it gives Romo the lo- another level of confidence. It gives Parcells a reason to come back and, you know, maybe they run it back the next year and, 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 it's, and suddenly you're within striking distance. So I, I just think that there's other ones. I mean, obviously the catch comes to mind and, um, you know, I, I think there's a couple plays from that '94 uh, AFC. Uh, I'm sorry, NFC Championship game that the Cowboys lost to the uh, the 49ers that they they probably could have figured out that would have turned the tide there. And I'm sure that there's some offseason stuff, but to me, like you ask the question, and the two things that instantly pop in my brain are obviously just because it's the the latest one is the Des Des catch that was yeah. ruled not a catch and then and then obviously Tony dropping the, the ball on the do, extra point in Seattle. Do you think they beat the Bears in 2006 cuz if they would have beaten Seattle that's who they would have played the, the Bears in Chicago. So that's that that's the uh, Rex Grossman team, right? Yes. The 2006 Rex Grossman yes. team. They had a really great defense, didn't they? Like was they, that, they was had, that I think they Burlacher were the number and three defense. Yeah. Yeah. And Tommy, Tommy, uh, what's his name was still really good. That that defense tackle out of OU. Tommy Harris, yep. Tommy Harris, yeah. So, I think it would have been a tough game, but I certainly think. I mean, look, the Bears were in the Super Bowl. Like, I, I think that the Cowboys certainly were within striking distance of talent of that team, and and they had as as much as any ch- team as much chance as any team yeah. in, in the NFC that year. Who knows? Um, different one for you. How about Eric Williams getting in a car accident in 1994? Well, I mean, yeah. If you want to talk about like you know people's who and look, it, there have been obviously more headline stories of of folks that have had unfortunate turns to their career and that sort of thing. And Eric Williams is you know it's maybe less sympathetic to some folks because it was a car accident there you know and there all the other stuff that was surrounding Eric mm-hmm. at the time. But if you want to talk about like pure talent lost. Eric Williams, I think if he hadn't gotten in that car accident, like we would be talking about him right there, if not better than Larry Allen. I think I honestly do believe that he was so, so, so talented. I mean, I'll tell you what my, one of my favorite things watching live was seeing Eric Williams go against Randy, uh, Randy White, not Randy White, uh, Reggie White, Reggie White, uh, yeah. 
um, and, and, and watching Reggie White get so frustrated that the Reverend Reggie White walking off of the Texas Stadium field that day when I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old, was flipping off all the Cowboys fans and cursing like a, like a sailor. Uh, not so much like a like a reverend. So I, that just yeah. shows you the kind of talent that someone like Eric Williams had. Well, you just wonder because like in 1994, uh, after Eric Williams gets hurt, the Cowboys end up being the two seed in the NFC, right? And, yeah. you know, they have to go to Candlestick and play that game against the 49ers, you know, instead of playing it at home. And then in that game, I believe, I think it was, yeah, Larry Allen started at right tackle. And, you know, I mean, it's, listen, it's Larry Allen, but if you can have Larry Allen playing guard and Eric Williams playing, you know, right tackle, and now all of a sudden it's not Derek Kennard starting at right guard, I, I think you might win the Super Bowl because I think everybody <laughs> knew that was the Super Bowl. Right? I mean, they were just going to run through whoever they played in the uh, Super Bowl. I dare, I dare anyone to find a better right side than healthy Eric Williams and Larry Allen. <laughs> I dare you. Uh, <laughs> I dare you to even suggest it. Uh, just two mean, strong dudes who uh, just dominated that whole side of the field. And, and really, again, even to this day, don't quite get the amount of credit that they deserve for, for, for what they did for that team and how dominant they made them. You don't think Andre Gerard and Solomon Page match up? Torn Tucker and Rob Petiti. I don't. I don't want to rehash all that terrible <laughs> offensive line. I mean, yeah, it, all the guys uh, that we looked at. Uh, oh, oh well. Uh, all right, let's <laughs> uh, let's get to, to some more of your questions. A couple of people wanted to know about breakout candidates, so this is the way I'm going to uh, break it down for you. Give mm-hmm. me somebody who can go from a reserve player to a good starter, and somebody who can go from a good starter to Pro Bowl or All Pro. So reserve to a good player, and then okay. So um, I, I think the, the the best candidate for the reserve to a good player would be Malik Hooker, uh, because mm. I think you look at a situation where he was kind of the third safety there. He was rotating in. You saw you started to see those flashes. You started to see some of the Malik Hooker stuff that you saw uh, early in his career or in college as well. And, and as he started to flash, and I think that's why the Cowboys felt really comfortable about signing, re-signing him and, and letting, um, <clears throat> and letting the other guys walk. So, uh, I, I think hooker with more, uh, snaps and more opportunity, another healthy off season, a season, another season in the same system. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for hooker to take a step, uh, that he hasn't ever had a chance to in his NFL career at this point. So that would be my choice there. Uh, do you have one there so I can think about the other one? Yeah, yeah. I, I, a couple of different ones there. Like, And we actually talked about a few of these guys yesterday. I think Chauncey Golston could go from a guy that's playing 20 snaps a game to, hey, he's our starter at right defensive end, our base starter, and we feel really good about him. Or Dorrance Armstrong. Dorrance Armstrong goes from a part-time starter to somebody who's, getting eight sacks a year. Like, I think that's, that's a very good one for my good starter to all pro level player. I, I think the obvious answer is CD lamb, right? I think there's a very realistic chance that by the end of this season, we are saying it's Jamar chase. It's Justin Jefferson and CD lamb. Like those and Cooper cup, like those are the top four receivers in the league because he's already, I mean, he's already established himself as a good receiver. But going into year three, when he's going to get a lot of opportunities, and if you can capitalize on that, 
why couldn't he have a 1400 yard season with 14 touchdowns? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly think that that's within the uh, range of possibilities and, and, and uh, he's going to get a ton of opportunities and listen, a lot of the folks that are out there that do a lot of the projections on this stuff, that look at all the situations, it's hard not to get excited about what CD lamb can provide uh, mm-hmm. as an opportunity, you know, specifically in the fantasy realm, because he's going to have so many snap uh, opportunities. He's going to have so many targets and he, he's just, you know, an exciting player that looks to be kind of on his way to being an elite player. Um, I, I, really quickly on CD, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think the stats are, are is what's going to make him a top three receiver. Like, if he gets sixteen hundred yards this year because he's getting hundred and eighty targets because the Cowboys literally have nobody else to throw to, that doesn't necessarily make him a good receiver. For me, if he has twelve hundred yards, but you can count on him, like he's just money on third downs, and he's so good with the, when they need him, and they need him to close out games by winning on a third and nine. Like that's that's what they need more so than a guy that's going to lead all fantasy stats. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, again, you're certainly, you're certainly not hearing me preach uh, about uh, fantasy outlooks and, and projections. But I, I think that, yeah, the point is, is that there's a reason that, that these folks, you know, as much as I hate fantasy football, I, I respect the fact that fantasy folks know what they're talking about as far as, you know, a potential targeting, you know, where the trends are going on teams' offenses, because that's their job. And, and I think that there's a reason that there's smoke there with CD, is, and I think it's because of all the things you mentioned, the, the increase in targets, the increase in his skill set. I think it's more – the skill set increase is what I think is going to be more important yes. for the Cowboys. I'm going to kind of throw a curveball one here, and, and this is – just because this is not an easy thing to predict, um, what if – Another year in a healthy offseason and another year in a system that he's comfortable with has Leighton Vander Esch playing at a level that is closer to where he was as a rookie than he was than he has been these last few years. I, I don't think that that's outside the realm of possibility. I think that you you saw when Leighton struggles, it's it's a lot of correctable stuff. Most of the time, it's it's you know we've dealt with health and him kind of still dealing with this or that. You, you get a completely hof- healthy offseason of Leighton Van Der Esch, a motivated player, a player who's comfortable in what he's being asked to do. And he physically has the ability to do what he did his rookie year. I, I don't think that he's lost that. So is there a possibility that he could get back to a, a, a situation where he's closer to where he was his rookie year? I don't know if that's an all pro, uh, but I think if we're talking about a guy who was a starter, a capable starter, who could potentially hop up to Pro Bowl consideration, you know, while playing next to Micah Parsons, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility while we're waiting for Cox, we're waiting for these other guys to kind of get back on the field that Leighton Vanderish just really pops and kind of has a, a career resurgence at this point. Yeah, that's a really good one, actually. Leighton Vanderish is only 25 years old. Yeah. And we, we, to his credit, we saw somebody by the end of the year exactly was, yeah. was playing better. Now, I don't know if that was the same caliber as he was like during his rookie season, but it wasn't a problem having him on the field in 2019 and 2018. There were moments in it at the start of the 2021 season. There were moments where he was borderline unplayable by the end of the season. It was almost an asset for your defense. So I, I I think it's possible should mention last seven games of the season, only two missed tackles for Mm Leighton Van Der Esch. And he played a bunch of snaps over that time. 
this is the first off season in how long where he hasn't had a big injury that he's coming off. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think the missed tackles you mentioned, that's, that's huge. Like, because that, to me, that has been the difference between young Leighton Van Der Esch and, 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 and the, the year, the guy we've been getting the last few years, young Leighton Van Der Esch didn't miss tackles. Like no. that was the thing that we, that we talked about is that he was so wide, so wide, his wingspan was so wide. When he arrived, it was hard for players to escape. So if he can get back to that, uh, I, I think we could get a guy that, you know, like I said, maybe not an all pro, maybe not quite a pro bowler, but quite just short of that would be amazing when you're considering that you're pairing him next to Michael Parsons. Yeah. To, to, I mean, to, to Van Der Esch's credit, uh, his tackle rate in 2018 as a rookie, 9.2. And it was actually better as the year went on. 2019, 14.8. 2020, 13.2. Last year, 8.9. Trending in That's the right better. direction. So. Yeah. If he can keep it around there and he can stay relatively healthy, we'll see. And maybe a little bit more cleaner up front. You know, that's the other, other added element too. With a little bit better defensive tackle depth, maybe he stays a little bit cleaner as well. Uh, and maybe that that means a, a gangbuster year for a guy that is still kind of looking for a way to turn this short-term contract into kind of a bigger contract from somebody. He didn't miss a game last year. Uh, that's kind of yeah. surprising, right? Um, and then in 2018, his rookie year, he played all 16. So he has two seasons where he's played every game. It's that, I mean, you just wonder about the neck. Like how long yeah. is the neck going to hold up? But I, I think that's a that's a good call by you. All right, last question for, for us before we head out. And this is a very simple one from Ross. Oh, boy. If the Cowboys miss the playoffs, should Mike McCarthy be fired? Yeah, I mean, I think if the Cowboys miss the playoffs – um, I, I think I, it, it, I would have a little caveat. Let's say Dak plays 14 games this year, 14 yeah, or more. All of it, all of it hinges on how it happens. I think. I mean, I, I just don't think that you know, like, not making the playoffs isn't enough information as far as I'm concerned to fire somebody. But yeah, like if let's say Dak missed some significant time with an injury, or um, well, the really offensive line is just completely decimated yeah, by an injury, like if, right? If there's some kind of crazy level of circumstance that's undeniable, then I think you, you could you know talk yourself into uh, rolling it back one more year, especially in, in the light of kind of how they've been arranging things a little bit. So, but but if they stay relatively healthy and Dak plays 15, 16, 17 games, and they go eight, nine, and they just lose a bunch of close games. It's time to blow it up at that uh, point. It's, it's time you know? to move on, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, if, if we get to that point, I'm not even sure what the point would be to holding on to like Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore because you're not really changing or improving things. Like this is time for a full-blown reset, right? Like time to move on. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they almost seem like they're kind of prepping for that a little bit too if, if they had to make that move, you know. like you Well, know, it's weird. Moving. It feels like they're – they could very easily blow things up after this year and they would be in a good situation cap wise to do it. But they're also in a situation where, Hey, if they get to like the NFC championship game and they just need to make one or two more moves to go win a super bowl, they're also in a position to do that as well. It, it's, it's very weird the way they position themselves. It's, it's not weird. It's, it's on purpose. And I think that this is a lot of the reason that people should keep in mind that they are sitting on money like they're Scrooge McDuck, right? Is because it gives them the opportunity, the flexibility to survive not only a negative season, but uh, surviving success, right? I, and I, being able to like have success and re-sign the guys you need to, or to sign new guys to take that next step, right? 
Yes. They're just not going all in for this season. Like the way some other teams have in the, certainly in the AFC, a couple in the NFC, like they just haven't pushed all their chips to the table because I think, I think they want to see Mike McCarthy in one more year and see what Dak looks like in the system one more year before really, really going all in. I'll also add that I also, I think that they don't have the the same powder that other teams do to go all in this year. You know, I, I think that that's that's part of it too. Is that if you're going to go all in, you're going against five other teams that are going all in, but they've got more money and more you know assets. Then you're not really doing anything except making a mess for yourself down the road. So if you feel like next year is the best better year to do that, uh, because of the, the the contract situation, because of the dead money situation, because of the uh, increase in the cap, lots of reasons to think that 2023 would be the year for that. Yes, uh, I, I can understand that you know how they would kick the can one year because it's a better like it's a better situation, a more advantageous situation for them if they decided they wanted to go the route of Google. Yeah, I mean, I we've been saying this for a while, but everything is kind of pointing to 2023 where. They don't have to give anybody a big contract yet, right? CeeDee Lamb will be on year four of his rookie contract. Diggs and Parsons both entering year three, so you don't have to pay those guys yet either. You can get off Ezekiel Elliott. Michael Gallup's cap number will actually be you know, pretty realistic and not hard to deal with. They're going to have a lot of cap space. They could really improve the roster next year if they wanted to, but that, to me, it really cir- seems like they're circling 2023 mm-hmm. as the year to go for it. I agree. Absolutely. All right. That is it for today's show. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, you can download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to thank you for making Locked On Cowboys your first listen of the day. Now make your second listen to Locked On NFL Podcast. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't equal a break in the action. You can follow Landon at McCoolBCB. I am at Marcus underscore Mosher. We'll be back on Wednesday to talk about the Cowboys linebackers, including Leighton Vander Esch, Micah Parsons, maybe a little bit of J. Ron Curse even in there as well. Ooh. See you guys back here tomorrow.